0: You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. This is Ben Wolf, as always, your host, and I am happy to be sharing today with a message from my guest about the pinnacles and the pitfalls of hiring a fractional leader in your organization. Uh, as always, I ask everybody to subscribe to leave a review so that you can get uh, the knowledge and information that's shared on this podcast in the future. And the more you leave a review, preferably a five-star review, wherever you're listening to this, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it might be, uh, it makes the content here available to more people, brings it up in the algorithms and the search patterns and everything. So it'd be a big help to, uh, to me, to everyone else listening, and to yourself in the future, if you will, pause this, subscribe, and leave a review, uh, a good review. So with that, I wanna get into introducing our guest today. She is owner of the Metis Group, which helps business leaders frustrated or disappointed with the performance of their employees to improve their selection processes, accelerate their performance, and develop them as leaders. She's been a director of HR and human capital at a variety of organizations for over 30 years. You can find out more about her and her work at TheMetisGroup.com. That's M-E-T-I-S-S, TheMetisGroup.com. And with that, I give you Cindy Gave. Welcome, Cindy.
1: Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate uh, being invited to your show.
0: Well, my pleasure. And I appreciate uh, somebody who I've thanked so often on, on the show here, Jonathan Smith, who was a longtime friend of yours. He was my EOS implementer for three years when I was inside a company, uh, helping us implement entrepreneurial operating system, the EOS framework uh, for managing our business, getting maximum results. I know he's helped you a lot over the years, and you guys are good friends for a long time. He introduced us, so i got to acknowledge and definitely appreciate Jonathan for putting us together.
1: He is the ultimate connector. I think when Malcolm Gladwell wrote that book and talked about connectors, he must have had a picture of Jonathan right next to that <laughs> because he is the ultimate at uh, connecting the right people together for sure.
0: All right, Well, we're going to have to uh, make a little clip of of you saying that just then, and, and give that to him <laughs> to, to to use as a promo on his website or social media or something. Yeah. But um, so, what I want to start off with is uh, getting into uh, to have you just share like a quick two minute background to give people like a picture, maybe stuff that's not reflected in your LinkedIn profile, so to speak, or your resume you know, where did you come from? How did you get to be what to be doing what you're doing now and, and sharing about the kind of stuff that we're mm-hmm. talking
1: about today? It's funny because when you asked me to prepare for this and that was one of the questions I thought, you know, it probably goes back to when I was a little girl. My dad, um, who had escaped from Hungary as a political refugee during the Hungarian revolution and landed mm-hmm. here in, in 1957, um, Um, started as a ditch digger in a water company and ended as second man from the top when he retired 30 years later. But I remember him coming home and, complaining like crazy about the personnel department right and the personnel department was always telling him all the things that he couldn't do and I remember thinking of them as like the no police and so I remember dad in his accent you know saying I stopped asking for permission I'll just do what I need to do and then I'll ask for forgiveness later and I thought well that's a pretty lousy system. And so I remember asking questions about this. And coincidentally, I intended to go into public relations, um, but there weren't a lot of public relations back when I was in school. And no, we're not going to do the math on that. Um, But um, so I there were a lot of combination departments. Um, So I cut my teeth. in all of my college summers working at Johnson & Johnson back when they were absolutely one of the best companies to work for in a combination of personnel and public relations departments. Uh-huh. So I was going to school for public relations, but I was learning what was then personnel and then wound up uh, eventually getting hired into some, I remember hiring in in one place and saying I wasn't going to come to work for them until they changed the department to human resources from personnel. Mm-hmm. So I am a recovering HR person, but I think what, differentiated me is really listening to my dad the whole time when I was growing up, who, by the way, I adore and see as my role model, because I always wanted to understand business. How does this particular business make money? How do we align the talent to accomplish those goals? How does this business do it? It's always different. And if you look at my resume, I really looked like a consultant from day one, because I don't think I stayed any place longer than 18 months. I would mm-hmm. go in, and fix things and put some processes in place and get bored and then go on to the next one and mm-hmm. so on. So I think it was just a natural um, transition for me to start my own business a little over 24 years ago. It was actually my husband three months before uh, we got married said, well, why aren't you starting your own business? And, um, I said I needed to be vice president of a Fortune 500 company first. And he said, why? Mm-hmm. People call you for your free advice anyway. Just start charging them. And, and in short order, um, within three months of our first contract, we had to start hiring people. So that's how mm-hmm. we kind of got to where we are.
0: Wow. That's really cool. Actually, you, you, your background about your father reminds me about, about my grandfather, my mom's, my mom's dad, who grew up in Orm, Tennessee, a, a town at, at its height was about 400 people in East Tennessee. And grew up so poor that as a five-year-old boy, he, well, they were just so poor. It was a coal mining town. His father was a coal miner, and they were so poor that I think one winter they couldn't buy even a coat for him, and his mother knitted him a sweater out of rope, and that was what he had to wear one winter. It was crazy, and you know, and again, by the time you know he went into uh, he went into construction, went into merchant marines, dropped out of school in like sixth grade. And did all this crazy stuff. And then by the time went into construction, they went into the union. And by the time he ended his career, he was the, the, the president of the southern region of the iron workers union. Oh wow. Um as, wow. as just the tough as nails negotiator, uh, you know, who again with the sixth grade yeah. and you know stood stood next to President John F. Kennedy at one of, you know, at the opening wow. of one of the dams in the Ohio Valley. Uh, you know, in the Tennessee Valley uh, Power Authority. Yeah. Anyway, so just like the, the the story of your father coming from where he did, it, you know, and accomplishing what he did, kind of reminded me a little bit of that.
1: personal yeah. It's well, I really believe our heritage, our roots, really um, are. You know the foundation from where we grow i, I was that was complimented by my mom's mom mm-hmm. who was from italy was sent here when she was 13 to marry a man she'd never met wow um 13. and third grade education in italy which basically meant she knew how to cook and crochet um shrewd as a, a just amazing woman mm-hmm. and her ability to read people which both my dad and my grandmother needed to be able to do because they didn't really understand english all that well when they first came mm-hmm. well neither of them spoke any english when they first came here so oh. they had to get really good at reading people from a survival perspective and again pass that along to me but I, but right. but probably the biggest lesson from both of them is um neither were tolerant of the word can't i mm-hmm. can't oh right you know both of them you can do anything you set your mind to and, uh, and when you look at their background you felt like a wimp going i can't all learn right. algebra <laughs> <All> <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> You're like, hey. wow, yeah, that's amazing. I mean, so, so, so this is remarkable. And I guess, I guess it is powerful to think about how our roots, you know, form formulate who we are. And, you know, and one of the interesting things, I mean, you know, that one of the big focuses of mine right now and, and of a lot of the guests, not all, but a lot of the guests I'm having on the show these days is people in the fractional leadership space. I just find that it's such a little known and little understood. Powerful tool that business owners, those who it's right for, can use to get, you know, to 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 not just have to reinvent the wheel every time. And and Mm -hmm. with a team that has never done it before, and they've never done it before, they're amazing at making widgets or installing HVAC Mm -hmm. systems or whatever it is that they do or legal services, but. Um, but not with running the business and growing it in in an Mm -hmm. amazing way. And so this fractional leadership to be able to get on somebody that's been there, that's done that, that's experienced, that can walk them through it become part of the leadership team, but at a much lower price point because it's fractional Then they could, you know, couldn't obviously hire someone like that full time, just an amazing tool. So I'm focusing a lot on that, as you know, and, you know, and we, we had a really interesting conversation about some of your experiences in this area uh, of uh, hiring four different fractional CMOs, chief marketing officers over time for your own organization. One mm-hmm. um, of the biggest pitfalls that you've seen from your own experience uh, in hiring a fractional leader and from your client's experience, hiring fractional leaders, what are some of the biggest mistakes and pitfalls that people make when bringing on a fractional leader?
1: Um, for us and for some that I've seen, part of the reason we bring on a fractional is, we can't imagine what a full-time one would actually do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we know we're missing something. And so we're hoping that somebody who was a leader of that area before who could help us figure out what's missing, put that in place and then help shepherd us along. Um, I think the challenge with that is we, if we're not clear, exactly clear about what we want, they will provide what they're good at which may not be what we need it may be Mm -hmm. what they're good at so um, you know when we are helping our clients in the selection process for hiring a direct employee we have a process for getting crystal clear about what the scorecard looks like for that person and what the ideal person looks like to do that within their culture but it doesn't work when you're hiring a fractional leader because this is a contractor and the contractor is coming to you saying I will do A, B, and C, and it might sound really good. You may need or want some of those things, but that may not necessarily be what you need. Uh, And so in our case, and I guess um, there were actually two CMOs, uh, three marketing PR companies, one of which tried to transition into a CMO type of thing. Uh Uh, I would say the last one is the most successful. So starting from the beginning, when we hired a uh, marketing firm they did a great job They, you know we knew we needed a website we had basically a brochure page and we needed mm. to rebrand and and do all that kind of stuff and they did a great job with that but then they wanted us to do a whole bunch of other things on seo and stuff like this and we just weren't prepared to handle that and quite frankly um, because of the work we do in selection and performance acceleration and um, uh, organizational health we're really selling to the founder the ceo the visionary of an organization, Mm -hmm. not to an HR department. So, um, the SEOs, nobody would know what to search for us. I mean, we've been in business over 24 years. Still, we, when I ask our clients, what would, what would you search for us as in Google? And they're like, I have, I have no idea. I'd wait till Jonathan said, you need to talk to the Metas Group, right? right? So, um, so, we, you know, we really liked what the first organization did, but then they, you know, they're really good at SEO. And so that's where they wanted to go. And we finally said, like, we got to stop. We can't keep right, spending this money what, because
0: that's not, what you that's not what we
1: wanted. So then we went to this other organization who we thought did a pretty good job putting uh, a website together, more than a website, cleaning it up and making it better for similar type decision makers. Um, but again, They wanted to build in things to the website that we didn't want. Um, And when we started to get pretty insistent about what we did want, they really started tinkering around with things in in an almost passive aggressive way. Hmm. So that was sad. Then we went to a company that was originally, and we're not going to use names, but they had the word PR in there, the name of their company for the longest Mm -hmm. time. And they realized that a lot of people, especially when we went through the economic downturns in 08 and stuff like that, were a little reluctant around the PR part. So they dropped the PR and they just went the, with the other part of their name. And so uh, when we ran into them, coincidentally, I, I know and respect and adore the owner and uh, told him what we were looking for. And he says, well, we could do that. And I'm like, well, I thought you guys did PR. Well, we used to do a lot of that, but now we really do a holistic marketing thing. We'll look at the market, right? And so we had to spend 10 or 12 grand for them to put a game plan together for us on what they would do to help us with the marketing. And it comes back and I would bet you 80% of it was PR. And we're like, (laughs) yeah, no, no. And you know, oh, you need to Uh, go on Fox Detroit and be interviewed for, I'm like, but our ideal clients don't watch that. Yeah, but that's okay. Then you can just announce on your website that you were a guest speaker there. And I'm like, "Mm, this is a lot of money to spend on that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, We also went through things with them that with all of these folks, um, what we've said, so we've been in business for 24 years. And with one exception, 100% of our business has come from referrals Mm -hmm. or networking. And networking includes a lot of the public speaking I do to CEO groups and, and, and the like. So a lot of our marketing is my public speaking. Mm -hmm. And yet we've never had a professional look at any of my presentations. Mm -hmm. And we're like, there's probably room for improvement there, either in the talking points or maybe in the graphics or both together. I bet there's a way to improve this. Yes, we get great business from it, but still, that is the number one way we get business, that and referrals. And we have no marketing that targets our referral sources or looks at our presentations. Right. So in all of these cases, we told them, this was something we wanted. Until our current um, person from Burris Creative, Jim Burris, he's, he's doing a great job. He's out of North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. Burris, how do so, you Burris? B-U-R-R-I-S. Okay. Um, Jim's the only one who's been paying attention to that.
0: Right. He's listening.
1: Um, He's listening. It's
0: only the biggest, the biggest pitfall you're pointing out is this disconnect between what, what you as a business owner need and what the fractional leader is going, you know, is planning to provide or can provide and really being clear in advance. I mean, so, so, so what, so what's the technique that you recommend people use to make sure that they're on the same page and that whoever they're picking really is going to do what they need uh, or they have an expertise in that area.
1: So, uh, you know, so I, I think the best thing to do is why I think this this was successful with Jim. Um, and I, th- I think part of it is, is we were not that clear. I mean, we we would mention, hey, you know, by the way, you probably should take a look at some of our presentations because that's how we get.
0: More you mean in some, prior, in some of the prior in some of the prior. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, that we learned. Our, but so we weren't very clear then. Um, and they would say, oh, well, you know, sure, I'll look at that, but then they never did, and we didn't hold them accountable to that, or by the point where we say, because they'd say, well, we really need to get to understand your business a little bit better. We'll do that through your website, and then we'll look at that, and by that point, we're like, all right, we're done. We're five, six months in. We're done, Um, so I think that was part of the challenge. Um, With with Jim, I think we went to him, and we said, we're clearer about what we want. First Mm -hmm. of all, So there's work you
0: have to do as a business owner before you start interviewing people. to like come up with like the the one, two, three, five, six things that you really need this person to accomplish.
1: I think if you can get to the two or three critical things you need and somebody focuses on that, they may come up with some other little things you need to support those things, right? But you got to be, you got to have some clarity about what you need or- you need to hire somebody who has a diagnostic process, not just a, well, if I work with you long enough, I'll figure it out. That's not it. What's your process? Um, a couple of them said, we have a process. They get together. They come up with you know their version of who your ideal client is and what are some of the words that speak to them. And after they go through that, they never revisit that again, hmm. which is because I would say, wait a minute, we told you words that work and words that don't work. You redid some of the, the copy on our website and you used the words that don't work. <laughs> like we spent three hours in a conference room going All through right. this, right? So with Jim, we were pretty clear about this is what did not work in the past. This is the type of client we need to look for with this stuff. We, we already got the small the, the really tiny to small size clients base we, we figured out how to go to the market there the mid-sized client comes to us through referrals we need a better approach to go for the mid-sized client and mm-hmm. that's where we need your help um, and then we, we told him things that we didn't want in the past some new things we were being interested in and then we asked him one of the other things we did was we said three months from now how will we know this has worked out
0: mm, that's a great question
1: and we asked him
0: right three months um, from now what what are we what what are the outcomes that we, we will have seen by then? Right. If this and, if this is successful.
1: Right. And you now, put that in writing? I believe we did. So I'm yeah. the visionary. My husband and marital partner, or my husband and business partner, is also um, my integrator, and he handles those details. Right,
0: that's that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm an integrator. I'm a fact finder. Uh, so yeah. So
1: I I come <laughs> up with the I come up with the brilliant idea, and John figures out how to execute. Actually, yeah, John it. tells me I come up with a hundred <laughs> ideas. He'll tell me which ones are brilliant. Um, so, but with Jim, it's been wonderful. The other thing that happened is, he's he we did know him for a while. So he was a little familiar with our business, but when COVID hit, we said, all right, forget strategy. We got to figure out 60 day sprints. What do we have to do now? What do we have to do next? Basically let's, let's stop trying to be strategic about this. Although we did say we need your strategic advice. He is very good at seeing the big picture, but he's phenomenal also at coaching um, and mentoring Jeremy, who is in charge of our, Um, marketing. He's my husband's youngest son. He's Uh in charge of the marketing and some content delivery. And so Jim has been wonderful working with Jeremy. I can see Jeremy blossoming and taking some more initiative, you know, even saying to Jim, we need to do this. We need to do that. And then Jim helping him figure out how to do it. So that's been amazing that he's really invested in grooming Jeremy, um, where we've asked for that to be part of, you know, again, I don't think we were that clear when we said we really need you to kind of leverage Jeremy. He's willing to do whatever you show him to do, but he needs some um, direction. He's, he's not grown up in marketing. right? Um, so I think being crystal clear about like the three things you really want somebody to do and then asking them how they're going to do it and what are going to be the, the deliverables to prove three months, six months, whatever the game plan is that we got there. Because then you can measure whether or not we're at least making forward progress towards that, right?
0: Right. Um, now, I know you, know, you, what, you have, i oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Um, you know, what? what's a little bit different in our, um, you know, the cornerstone of our business is helping clients figure out a full-time employee, a direct right. employee. It's very different because you set the parameters. This is what you want the job to be. This is what the ideal person looks like. And you ask the person, do you want to do this job or not? it's completely different when you're dealing with a contractor or contract house, they say, this is what we offer. Do you want it or not? Right. And and the same is true with us. We, for different applications, we'll use different suite of assessments. Mm-hmm. But if we have a client come to us and say, Hey, for, we want you to do a team session, but will you use the Colby? And we'll say, yeah, the Colby has a really narrow lane of applicability. So we don't, We'll use our tools. If you want Colby, you need to,
0: right, use go, to, our, go, to a, else. go to a Colby consultant.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that no, we're not going to do that. But we want you, and we want this how Yeah. No. Right. So it's this. It's the same thing because if you're hiring a contract house, they're not an employee, and so you don't have the same um, level of accountability. I think. Now, are there elements of
0: how of the of the of the methods that you use for finding internal employees? that are similar, that are shared with, uh, with looking for a, a good fractional leader for your organization?
1: Um, I think some things are, I think if you get clear about some of the things you value, uh, whether they're core values or things that you've valued in previous partners, because I think if you're, you're talking about a fractional leader, you're not really talking about a contractor or a vendor or you shouldn't be. It should be really looking at a partner right? So yeah, they'll you're be about, joining your
0: leadership team, you know, yeah. whether it's in marketing, sales, technology, operations, finance, I mean, if they're joining your leadership team, they're, yeah, like you said, a partner with you, even if they're there just one day a week.
1: Right. Um, so I think making sure there's an alignment to your, to what you value and, in, mm-hmm. and to your core values, right? Um, so exploring that, helping them understand what your core values are, asking them specifically, how do they align with theirs, Um, have they even defined core values for themselves Uh, you know one of the things we really value from any strategic partners fractional or otherwise is that there is a process we don't like the smoke and mirrors little coconut shell games you know trust me i'll make this work (laughs) Uh, we really want to know what's your process because that gives us kind of an overview of what our journey is going to look like right and we may ask you sometimes and, and we we do this to Jonathan B. Smith a lot as our EOS implementer. We're like, Okay, we need you to go off the reservation for a minute. We need you to just give us your insight on this. You've known us long enough. Right. Step out of EOS. If if you were in my shoes, what would you do? Right. And uh,
0: so I that's think we might different. have to delete this part of the interview where we reveal that Jonathan sometimes <laughs> gives his own substantive <laughs> advice and doesn't just Only
1: uh, if him and sign right. a release that he's not held accountable.
0: Right. And this is, this is not part of the EOS engagement. This is separate. Right. We're ending our EOS session for these
1: 15 <laughs> minutes.
0: <laughs> uh, they say everyone, uh, the EOS letters have a, have a phrase they got from Mike Payton, who's uh, uh-huh. you know, whatever, I mean, uh, one of the you know, ambassadors of EOS and, and a lot of other things, the former visionary of EOS uh, recently. And uh, he always says, you know, uh, don't look at me, don't ask me. I'm just the dumb guy with the marker.
1: Right, yeah. That's the, right.
0: that's the phrase, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Jonathan's repeated that one, but.
1: Yes, but jo- Jonathan is, yeah. To us, he's, because I've known him for so long, um, ironically, he was born about, within 10 miles of where I was born in New Jersey, mm-hmm. but we met in Michigan, mm-hmm. go figure. Um, and, uh, and so we've known him for a long time, and I've always considered him a friend, a trusted advisor, um, someone I would turn to when I was um, torn between things before he was an implementer. And I, we told him when we brought him on board, look, we don't wanna lose that part just because you're our implementer, because mm-hmm. those are two different values. But I think you have to be, it, it goes back to being clear about what you want, right? Um, and also being clear about the alignment of those values. I think, and, and you, have I, you and I have talked about this a little bit, about being crystal clear about what you really want out of a fractional integrator. Um, A pure full-time integrator will also champion your culture. They're going to supervise all of your, you know, all of the direct reports so that the visionary only has one direct report who's the integrator. And if the integrator is only there a day or two a week or two half days, that's really hard. You can't put that responsibility on that integrator so you have to be clear about what do you want this person to accomplish yeah. and is it logical in the time frame or the resource investment that you've that you've agreed to
0: yeah absolutely yeah i was talking with a prospect last night and we were we were getting into that because you know want to want to make sure that, that 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 understanding is aligned and you mm-hmm. don't want to get into a situation of uh of, of, of dashed expectations um What, uh, if you you can for a minute, also talk about, tell me about, tell me a little bit about the principles you use for for hiring internal employees. Mm -hmm. How do you help, how do you help your clients make sure they're getting the right people in the right seats?
1: Sure. Uh, We have a very defined selection process and there's plenty of visuals on the website that you already gave everybody. Um,
0: It's again, that's themetisgroup.com, M-E-T-I-S-S, themetisgroup.com.
1: Right, one T, two S's, that's the thing to remember. Okay. Uh, but if you go there to the selection processes, you'll see this and some examples along the way, but it's built on a very, it's, it's not rocket science, it's built on a logical process. Pretend you were only going to hire a $30,000 a year person, which mm-hmm. is a little less than $15 an hour. If you are going to spend that same $30,000 on a piece of hardware, a piece of software, No one in their right mind would take $30,000 of hard, cold cash, walk into Best Buy, throw it on the counter and go, hey, what can I get for this? Right? You get talked into all this stuff that's never going to work. Same is true when you hire that way. If you were going to use that 30 grand for a piece of hardware or software, you would bring together in a conference room the people who were going to use it, who would be affected by it, who mm. understands how it needs to work. You'd lock them in the room and say, y'all aren't coming out until you figure out exactly what do we have to have, what would be a nice to have, what do we just not need. And then you'd know in your heart of hearts, when you went shopping for it, nothing was going to match it exactly off the shelf right? So we apply that same logic. We build out a scorecard and again, the samples out there, which is what are the activities broken into three to five accountability buckets, which transfer over to the accountability chart for those who are EOS implemented. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we create, you know, all of the, uh, but it's a little bit more because we go into what are the tasks and activities in each of those areas, how much as a percentage of a hundred do we expect them to split their time, what are the priorities, and what are the success factors, how do we know if someone has done their job well enough to keep it, and then we take three assessments on behalf of the job, most folks who use assessments will use a singular assessment which are usually behaviors, you know, is somebody an extrovert, an introvert, an analytic, a creative, but the fact of the matter is, people are more than one dimensional. So we, we use one that's on behaviors, one that's on culture fit or what motivates people and one is on personal skills to define what we need in the job. So now mm-hmm. that we understand the scorecard, and we understand the avatar to do that job within the culture of the organization, we can tailor the screening process and Every candidate you measure is getting screened against that. No different than the shopping process for the hardware software.
0: So do you, because- give, do you give the company these tools and then they evaluate each client? Do you do, you do this evaluation process for them? Like, how does that work?
1: Because we work with a lot of small to mid-sized clients, we've had to design the process so that we can be nimble in their support. So some of our clients are very large. They have a few thousand employees, and they have the resources internally right, to do this on HR their own. People yeah, and, so we just yeah. teach them the process, and they're off to the races. Right. Sometimes their HR to people HR people in those organizations are still overwhelmed and understaffed and need some help and we can support that. But then we have the small to mid-sized client who might have 20 to 100 employees and they need help um, executing those pieces. And so some of that is on an a la carte basis and our um, our staff can help um, mm-hmm. on an hourly basis getting those things done, like even doing the interviews or the performance checks or looking right. at a culture fit to core values. But when you start with what you actually need then you can come back and say okay this is the avatar this is pretty close uh, where are they different and then you can have exploratory conversations and reference checks or in secondary interviews to see if the individual has developed a self-awareness and based on that have they developed some coping mechanisms or is there a blind spot is this something we can support anyway or is this a deal breaker and it's not until you get crystal clear about what you're looking for can you expertly evaluate whether or not a candidate is really ideal and then then identify what the development plan has to be from the day they start with you because nobody's perfect and so the onboarding has to include where the gaps are from where the avatar was to what the person's bringing what you found and reidentified in the secondary interviews the performance checks and the like right does That answer your question
0: yeah yeah no it's it's it definitely does i think i think this is going to be a part of the interview people have to like pause and 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 listen to a couple of times so they could take notes and and uh you know and and possibly think about doing themselves uh or they could you know contact you through the dot sure uh, one two two s's and uh, you know to to possibly you know to possibly get your help in that and and I think you've described a little bit about what your clients look like and you know the various sizes, um, you know I'm sure any industry so that's really helpful and and I think again your your learnings both from what you teach your clients and what you've discovered yourself through your own searches and your own finding of fractional leaders where it sometimes worked and you know recently worked and previously didn't uh, I think is really really valuable for people to hear. Uh, in terms of you know just pausing, not just like looking, hey, I need help in finance. No, like what specifically, You know what do you need them to be doing as fractional CFO if that's what you're thinking of using and being very clear about those top three things that you need accomplished and then really exploring that and asking a great question that you said, which was uh, what's it gonna look like in three months if you've been successful at, at helping us in these three areas? Uh, so that you could just make it really concrete what success is going to look like and and get a lot more clarity if it's the right person or not. And Mm -hmm. also with the reference checks if you're doing them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's really helpful.
1: The other thing that we found um, with our process, so say a lot of times you bring on a fractional CFO um, or fractional integrator because you don't think um, there's enough work for it to be full-time yet. Well, sometimes we'll go in and define what that full-time job is on that scorecard realizing that if there are five accountability buckets which two or three can be outsourced which one can be shifted over to the controller which one might the visionary retain so that it's all getting covered and then you know when it becomes a full-time job and then you need to bring it back together Um, but it becomes clearer is it really a full-time job or a part-time job and the other thing that people sometimes don't understand when they're looking at these fractional leaders is that this is an investment, it's not an expense. And so if you're saying, oh, I can't afford these fractional, these fractional leaders should pay for themselves in a multiplier, not just pay back whatever you're paying them. And if you're not getting that ROI, then something's off. You haven't designed it well, the contract's not right, the person's not right, um, but, but there should be a wonderful ROI if it's something that's really needed.
0: Right. That's no, a, a, a great point point, a great pitch. <laughs> the, uh, really, really appreciate that. Thank you for everything that you've shared and taught in terms of finding a good fractional leader, in terms of also for internal staff, um, making sure that you have the right people and that you're going about the process intentionally and not and not just based on gut and where you, you, know, you end up getting in very painful situations and, and people leave jobs and you have to let them go and these horrible situations that nobody likes to be in. So just thank you so much for coming on, giving your time today, and I appreciate what you shared.
1: You're welcome. Thanks, Ben, for having me.
0: Thank you so much, and we'll see everybody else on the other side. Thank you. You're listening to Win-Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.